Soccer Weekly ESPN LA 710. Welcome to the show. Once again, each and every week we talk football here on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm. Happy and honored to be with you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. It is a blessed time, no doubt about it. And uh, just on a little personal note, the most happy Thanksgiving I've had virtually my entire life as my first child was born just days ago. So I am incredibly excited. I'm a little tired, but that's all right. We battle on as most soccer players do for 90 full minutes. So why not? I can do you. Uh, I can do a good hour here and let's have some fun with it. We do have a lot to talk about. Jumping right into the U.S. men's national team. What is going on? with the U.S. men's national team as a whole, all together. I know they're trying to get through this moment, essentially, that is 2018, which was so bitter in us missing the World Cup. You just let Dave Sarakin kind of guide it for the rest of the year, essentially, and then you start fresh. I get that. My question is, the more and more you hear about the situation, it looks like Greg Berhalter is essentially going to shoe in for this. He's pretty much got the job, I would suspect. I am not quoting any source that I have or anything like that, but there's so many good reporters and such good work being done out there by people who are saying, yeah, he's the guy. So, not first of all, we'll get to Greg Berhalter in a minute. I got no beef with him being the manager, and I'll tell you why. I'm actually excited about that. But I'm also skeptical on certain things, in terms of the process, you hire a general manager, essentially, and Erie Stewart to get this process going, and you don't really, you you really pass over a Tata Martino, guy's been coaching here for a couple years, so what, he's going to go to Mexico now and beat us? Is that really smart? It just doesn't make any sense how this has come about in, in, in the way that they're looking at candidates. They all have to like, what? This is a brave new world in football here, Ernie. Let's not limit ourselves that they have to be American coaches or whatever. You know, and everybody will tell you, no, no, that's not what it will. Come on. I'm not buying it. Now, Ernie Stewart knows more about where we stand in world football than I do. Maybe... Maybe there's just not enough good quality candidates from around the world that wanted to coach the U.S. men's national team at that t- this point. But Lopetegui reportedly wanted to from Real. He just left Real Madrid. He just left coaching Spain, and then that whole brouhaha with Real Madrid cost him the World Cup as himself. Uh, he's a pretty good manager, regardless of what happened with Real Madrid here early in the season, where he was sacked already, probably due to the Cristiano Ronaldo hangover of him leaving. Let's face it, that was a tough gig. That's a tough ask. Uh, he's a pretty good manager. And there are reports out there that he actually was interested. I, you know, Again, who knows where that is, where it was. Maybe it was too late. Uh, there was some reporting. I think it was Grant Wall who talked about that. That it was probably a little too late in the process. Okay. I'm just not. I'm shaking my head at Ernie Stewart. Now, Ernie, it looks like, is going to hire Greg Berhalter. That makes me shake my head in a, in a, a way that says, huh. Maybe I should stop shaking my head. Maybe I ought to nod it a little bit for Ernie. And I know I'm going all over the place, but I do want to keep those things separate but equal. Where in the world was Tata Martino in this process? And I still do like Greg Berhalter. Okay, those two things don't have to conflict. They can both exist in this world. If Berhalter's the manager, here's why I love him. He allows 
strikers to thrive in his system. Now you say, well, no kidding, Denholm. We kind of know this about him, right? He's had some good ones. Oh, man, I dug deep. I went into the stats and started to dig around, and I was amazed at what I found. Just And again, nothing too crazy. It's just when you add it all up. Here's why. If you look at first, Greg Berhalter's been the manager of Columbus Crew, I think, since 2014. So 14, 15, 16, and 17. And then, of course, this season. If you look at the top eight scorers, individual scoring seasons from a player for for Columbus Crew, since 1990, what, six that they started, right? Brian McBride was fantastic back then. They had Stern John led the way. Stern John still has the record for goals in a Columbus Crew season with 26. But then you go, the second best season was Kai Kamara in 2015. Jossie Zardes just had the third best season in Columbus Crew history with 19 goals this year. Ola Kamara tied for fourth with 18 in 2017. And Ola did it again in 2016, tying for sixth with Jeff Cunning. So four out of the top eight striking seasons in Colorado, or I'm sorry, Columbus Crew history were under Greg Berhalter. And look at that. It's three different strikers. Kamara, Kamara, that's Ola and Kai, Kai getting one of those seasons, Ola Kamara getting two others, and Jossie Zardes. And he got Jossie Zardes off the reclamation dump, right? Off that little mound in the back of Columbus Crew Stadium that had Jossie Zardes just flailing away as a right back for LA Galaxy. Oh, gosh. So give Greg Berhalter a lot of credit. Now you can say, well, yeah, okay, his system seems to have produced a lot of good scores. Let's go a little deeper, because it's not a fluke. First of all, none of uh, Greg Berhalter's teams had like that Carlos Valderrama kind of assist man. Now that's not to say they don't have good players. Make no mistake, Iguain is a great player. Uh, Justin Miram had some very fine. So you know, like there's some guys who had great seasons. More than a few. And they have a good midfield. I'm not, again, but his teams are so efficient. So that's another, there was no Carlos Valderrama type who could just, you know, throw up 25 assists or even a Sasha Kleshton type. He never had that kind of midfield. So it's not as though it's just some guy pulling the strings for all these no-name goal scorers. It's a system that works and works very, very well. And not only that, as I mentioned, the efficiency if you look at the leaders for Columbus Crew all time in shots in a season, right? Kai Kamara had the most in 2015. He also had the most shots on goal. None of the other top five were during the Greg Burhalter era. None of the other top five shots on goal players were dur- seasons were during the Greg Burhalter era. That means they were scoring with fewer chances technically. Now, you could say, well, that's not good. His midfields don't create a lot of chances. Again, there was no dynamic engine, if you will, breaking things open for Columbus crew. They don't have that kind of money to spend in Columbus. And also, you ask, well, what about penalty kicks? PK goals were not a significant factor in any of those individual seasons that I studied under Greg Berhalter. If you look up the stats, in other words, yeah, Kai Kamara, Ola Kamara, 
Jossie's already, they get they scored a few PK goals, but no more significantly than Stern John, Jeff Cunningham, and the other guys who were on the list, Brian McBride, did when under coaches that weren't Greg Burholter. All of it adds up to, and I was surprised by this, it adds up to Burhalter gets the most out of guys up front. It's exactly what the U.S. men's national team needs. We must establish ourselves with one or two top quality strikers. And look, do we have talent that is equal to Cristiano Ronaldo up front? Of course not. Of course not. Do we have a Romelu Lukaku? No. But if you get guys in the right system under Greg Berhalter, and they get going, and they get hot, and they start to click, if you will, for lack of a better word, with that system and with the players around them, then guys get hot. Now that's how you win in international football. Because generally speaking, we're talking about a lot of bursts of games, right? A couple of qualifiers here, back-to-back. Then if you do get to the World Cup, three games in the group stage. Got to get through those. Got to get hot. Then if you do get past the group stage, look out. You got yourself a hot striker or two, and you can go a long, long way. I am more and more pumped about Greg Berhalter being the manager of the U.S. men's national team. In fact, out of all the candidates that I've heard were possibilities, all the American names, he's the best choice. Ernie Stewart is doing this right in this respect. Again, don't separate it with, well, where in the world was Tata Martino and all this? That's a very good question. But if you do now realize that it's not going to be Martino, and it looks like it's going to be Greg Berhalter, you start to study that choice, and I like it, and I like it a lot because of what he can do up front. We have talent. Now, I haven't even started to break down the U.S. games against England and Italy. We will do that. No question about it, and I'll have my thoughts on it. I'll start with, first of all, let's just throw out the England game. Remember I told you last week, in all honesty, I was working the day of the game doing a lot of stuff. We had the show that night, and I hadn't even watched the game yet. Uh, I try. It was ugly. We all know that now. England destroyed the United States. It It's just... A mess. And Dave Sarakin then switches things up, goes to a different formation, virtually a whole new lineup against Italy. Better played game, but it really, the U.S. wasn't attacking in that game against Italy. Those two friendlies were not good. And the United States loses on a very, very late goal in the dying seconds from Politano. Actually, in the 94th minute, exactly. It was virtually the final kick of the match. So it wasn't an awful performance against Italy, but it was better. The, the England one was just sloppy and all over the place. Uh, I will say this, Pulisic, decent. Uh, Josh Sargent didn't do much against Italy, but I love that he's in there. He has to be. He is the future. I like Tyler Adams. He always seems to play well. LAFC's Walker Zimmerman, we'll talk more about his performance. He started in the middle of that three-five-two, which is not really a, a spot that he's used to, at least this season with LAFC. He didn't play that. But it was an interesting game. I'll dig into a little bit more of that coming up. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about of that game is just, again, that mindset. Dave Sarakin, it's his final game. right? What are you doing? Go for it. Instead, he's dropping back, dropping back. And it reminds me, and it should remind you, that of this new hire with Greg Berhalter, it's not just about getting a new manager. We must change our mindset. I've been screaming about this for 30 years in U.S. soccer. You have to believe, did we fall on our face and miss the 18? Yes, of course we did. We missed the World Cup. Okay. 
So did Italy. So did the Netherlands. So did Chile. Every World Cup, big names are going to miss now. Okay? We just have to make sure we're not one of them ever again. We have the talent. We need coaches who are willing to go out and let them play and make mistakes. And you know what? Lose sometimes. Because we're so afraid of getting drubbed, we're not advancing the way we could. Bottom line. And that's exactly what Burhalter has to do. Take the gloves off, Greg. Let them swing. Let them swing from the heels sometimes. Ethan Horvath being goalkeeper and the man of the match to me is not a good sign. And he was. Horvath was really good. I got to say, he played really, really tremendously against Italy. They had a lot of chances. And Horvath kept the U.S. in the game time and again as the U.S. only was out-possessed essentially 2-1. to one. And it wasn't a great match by any means, but Horvath had a very good match for the United States. Ethan Horvath, I like what he's doing for the U.S. men's national team. I am Dave Denholm. Check me out on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. We always continue the conversation. What are your thoughts on Italy? We'll keep that going. We do have a lot of uh, things to get to, a lot of talk about. So much more, in fact. We've got Black and Gold Breakdown coming up. More on MLS playoffs and uh, just the matchups that are be coming up. Plus, some uh, an interesting signing for uh, LAFC. We'll talk about it in that Black and Gold Breakdown. And stoppage time. All of that's still to come. Keep it right here. I am Dave Donholm, and you are listening to the home of world football in Southern California. This is ESPN LA. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I'm Dave Donholm, hanging out with you here on the home of world football. We're pleased as punch, as always, to be joined by this man, Sebastian Salazar of ESPN and ESPN FC. Seb, thanks so much for taking the time, buddy. What are your thoughts on these two friendlies with the U.S. men's national team? Let's start there. The final couple of games under Dave Sarikin as the caretaker. What were your thoughts on those losses to England and Italy? Well, I mean, if we want to start with the performance, I think the real obvious takeaway is just the difference in level. Uh, between the players in one pool and then the players in both the Italian and the English pools. I mean, the scoreline in England was, I think, a fair representative one. England totally dominant. The U.S. really basic defending, just trying to scrap and keep the ball away from their end. Very little build-up, very little control, very little possession to speak of. Um, The scoreline against Italy is a little bit more flattering, guys. But if you watch the game, you, you know what happened. I mean, the Italians were dominant. And, you know, maybe people haven't been watching Italy think, oh, well, you know, Italy's not a team that likes to dominate the ball. Uh, In this new era of of Italy under Mancini, they're a little bit better uh, going forward than they have been in the past. They're just not good finishers. Uh, They played really, really well a few days before against Portugal, uh, dominated the ball against a Portuguese team that lets you have the ball, to be fair, um, but still couldn't finish. So, you know, if, if they have their top guys and if Lasagna has a better finishing day, uh, they're probably a three to four no scoreline that we're looking at. So I think the biggest takeaway is just, man, there is, you know, when we really measure the talent up against elite country talent, um, and, and look, we're not talking about the best of the best here. We're talking about an Italy team that missed the World Cup and an England team that went to a semifinal. But I think, you know, we all know the bracket and how it broke down in Russia and that that was pretty favorable for the English. Sure. So the talent gap to me is maybe the biggest takeaway um, I think some of that is is exacerbated by the fact that, you know, we're 13 months into not having a head coach. So you've got a situation where an, an interim manager is doing the best he can to pick guys, to give them opportunities, rolling them out there, but not building towards anything. And I think you get that in the pre- and the post-match comments from Christian Pulisic, uh, who you can clearly tell is a little bit frustrated by that. If you're going to roll the U.S.'s kids, 
out against an England and out against an Italy, you got to give them a plan and you got to give them the best shot not to embarrass themselves. And if I was an American player, I don't know that I would feel that my federation really gave me that best shot over the last two friendlies. I think we saw the culmination of 13 months of wandering in the wilderness. And when that group was put up against real talented teams that were in a FIFA window that mattered to both of them, uh, even if the game itself didn't matter to each of Italy and England respectively, I I think you saw that when you have a, a, a group of players that's not as good, and on top of that they're unorganized, and directionless, uh, you're going to get about what we saw, which was the other teams dominating the ball, dominating the match, and the few talented players that the U.S. does have not really able to showcase that because there's no system within which they can showcase it. And we are talking with Sebastian Salazar from ESPN, ESPN FC, and, uh, of course, covers the U.S. men's national team. And, Seb, you mentioned the, uh, the, the couple of good, really talented players. One of those you mentioned, of course, is Christian Pulisic. Uh, thoughts on... Maybe what happens to him now, there's a lot of rumors swirling, but he has to be the centerpiece, of course, for 2022. And yet, is there a spot where he could go, do you believe, that would actually make him make it more likely? In other words, he's got to find that right spot for his next move, quote-unquote, in world football, doesn't he? Totally. I mean, he's in a a critical part of, of, of his development, of his trajectory, really, beyond that. So. Here's the situation, right? His contract ends with Dortmund at the end of 2020. Sorry, at the end of the 1920 season, so summer of 2020. Um, that means that Dortmund really is incentivized, if they're going to cash in on this kid, to do it this coming summer or this coming winter. Now, they've come out and said they're not going to move him this winter, so that leaves this summer. If they don't get a sale done by then, then Pulisic's in the last year of his contract. He's looking at a free transfer which makes him way more enticing to a lot of different clubs all over the world. And to Dortmund, it means they don't cash in. Not only do they not cash in on a player that they've developed, who's a pretty good young player, they also don't cash in on the American, the best American player in a long time. And um, as good as Christian Pulisic is, let's not kid ourselves, that's a big part of his value. And that's not to knock anything about his ability, that's just the reality of where he's from and the value of the American market to these European teams. The latest links we've heard. Chelsea, Liverpool, Um, you don't have to be a soccer expert to know that if he's struggling to get in playing time at Dortmund, uh, if guys like Brun Larsen are putting him on the bench and Jaden Sancho, who's a great young player, but is a young player, are putting him on the bench at Dortmund, um, then you look at the Chelsea roster, you you look at the Liverpool roster, and you say, well, it's going to be tough to crack in there. And that really is is kind of the catch-22 here. Um, the, The clubs that would want to make a splash in the American market are oftentimes the types of clubs that are also loaded with talent. And that is going to be the, the you know, you, it's like the, you know, three bears. You don't want the, the bowl of porridge that's too cold and you don't want the one that's too hot. And you've got to find the one in the middle. And that's the challenge for, for Pulisic and his representation and his agent is to make sure that when this move happens, because I believe it will, Dortmund is extremely incentivized to sell, um, that they don't end up in a place where he is going to be in the same situation of of, of battling for playing time. Christian Pulisic, uh, from a U.S. perspective, needs to be in a club where he is uh, having an important role on a week-in, week-out basis and where he's under intense pressure to perform not just individually, 
but where the team has to perform, whether that's a relegation battle in the top league, uh, whether that's a spot for a Europa spot or a Champions League spot in the top league. Uh, all of those options would be good. But I, I think when you talk about Chelsea and Liverpool, you have to really look at who else they've got on the team and what that might mean for Pulisic's playing time. We're talking with Sebastian Salazar. Seb, let's go back to the U.S. men's national team. Now, the rumors are swirling, of course. Greg Berhalter. You're even getting some earlier rumors on the day, like, well, maybe the Galaxy are still in for Greg Berhalter. All this stuff going on. That might just be a ploy. We'll figure it out in the coming days. But if indeed it's a guy like Berhalter, what I was talking about earlier that I love about Greg Berhalter is he gets the most out of striking players, forwards. And he's, he's got some of the best Columbus Crew forward seasons out of different players that he's had. Therefore, it must be the system in a lot of ways, and him. And I love that because I think it's exactly what the U.S. men's national team needs. Now, I, I think there are better coaches that I would have been more pleased with maybe overall, but if you're going to go with the kind of crop that Ernie Stewart's been looking at, I think Burhalter is a fine selection. Now, again, still rumors, swirling, all that stuff. What are your thoughts on a guy like Burhalter in general and based on what he's done with the crew and those strikers? So I, I agree with the logic of your statement, right, that there's something to what Greg Berhalter does if Ola Kamara can have a great season and then move on, and then you bring in a guy like Jesse Zardes, and he can also have a great season. Something that, that Berhalter does, something within the system that he creates. Kai um, Kamara as well. Kai Kamara had a great season under him as well. Kai Kamara, right. I mean, there's, there's, there's a list of guys who, who have produced in that system. Yeah. Uh, but let's, let's also give further context. That's a system within Major League Soccer. Let's also look at Berhalter's system. A lot of times we've seen his outside backs become huge parts of what they do. Well, not all those things are easily translated to the to U.S. national team. Dave, if you had to pick one position or, or two positions where the U.S. talent pool has been dramatically poor or searching for the last five years, what would they be? Either right or left back. Pick your choice. Okay. Ever since, well, that's, ever, that's a big ever since Steve Tarundolo, ever since Steve Tarundolo left, yeah, it's been a mess. You're right. right. So, so if we want to say, well, look what he does in this system with forwards. Yeah. Well, let's also be honest about what he's going to inherit in a talent pool that the system might not fit. It's not like he can just necessarily take the, the system he played in Columbus, mm-hmm. drop it into the national team, and guys are going to start producing. That's a little too straight line of, a, of an assumption. I think for me, and we talked about it the last couple of days on, on the Max and Hurt podcast, um, you know, the biggest headline for me, and, and we'll wait, you know, we'll wait for the official word to come out that it is Greg Bearhalter. But if it is end up going to be Greg Bearhalter, and, and we, you've run through the laundry list, you can see it on Twitter, you see it on everywhere, the guys who haven't been interviewed even within the MLS yes. circle, um, the fact that we're, we could get to the end of this 13-month process, and we could end up with an MLS coach and haven't interviewed even the rest of the top five or six MLS coaching candidates, to me says um, that we really have to ask very, very serious questions of the Federation and this search process. And if there really was a search process, basically. Yeah. I mean, if there really was an honest-to-goodness search, because if I, if I read the names off, Vermees, Pareja, Marsh, who weren't interviewed, uh, I don't really know that, that I can feel satisfied that, that the Federation has done its, uh, and I'm borrowing a Dave Sarakin quote here, due diligence on, on, on this coaching search. And that's not to say that Greg Berhalter is a bad coach or won't have success with the U.S. men's national team if he's named. It's just to say that uh, in this new era of USSF, 
trying to be a little bit better in the optics. If this goes down the way it does, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are pretty upset, and rightfully so. Uh, I always love talking to this guy. I can't even get to the Mexico situation with him, which I would love to do. Maybe we'll have to sit you with him. We may not have time, but I will say this. There are so many parallels, man. There are so many parallels between the two federations. And I'll tell you why I think at the end of the day there's that parallel. Uh, they're both driven by economic interests and not footballing interests. Oh, and when, you, when your final interests are the same, you're going to act the same in a lot of ways, and a lot of your processes are going to be the same. Couldn't I have said it better myself? Nobody could have said it better than that. It's exactly right. Sebastian Salazar, as always, Seb, thanks so much for joining us. I love talking football with you here on Soccer Weekly. Thanks, buddy. Hey, great to be with you, Dave. Anytime. You bet. The great Sebastian Salazar from ESPN and ESPN FC. Check him out. He, he just mentioned the Max and Hurt podcast. He's been doing that. Uh, that's good stuff as well. As always, love talking to him here on Soccer Weekly. Still to come, we've got to talk more, and we've got so much more to get to. The black and gold breakdown coming up, and stoppage time, always a favorite, right here. On the home of world football in Southern California, this is ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I'm Dave Denholm. Thanks so much once again to Sebastian Salazar. Check out his work on ESPN and ESPN FC. A friend of the show and a friend of ours, and we love talking to him about all things football. Soccer Weekly presented by Puente Hills Toyota. Get your new 2018 Toyota Camry SE today at Puente Hills Toyota. Check them out, PuenteHillsToyota.com. And when you go there, you just let them know that Soccer Weekly sent you. We appreciate their support. They've been a friend of the show for a long time at Puente Hills Toyota, and we love them for their support of the beautiful game. It is time now for Black and Gold Breakdown. One, two, three, breakdown! It's the Black and Gold Breakdown. Breakdown. Break it down like this. Right now. Of course, we are the home of LAFC here in Southern California, ESPN LA, and uh, it is the offseason. That's a painful time when you get knocked out of the playoffs and there's still playoffs to be had as MLF's uh, Eastern and Western Conference Finals get going on Sunday. We'll talk a little bit more about those matchups. We discussed them in brief last week, but LAFC, now in their offseason in truth, and in Black and Gold Breakdown, we want to get to three things. First of all, the expansion draft coming up. Second of all, Walker Zimmerman's performance of the U.S. men's national team. I broke that down earlier in the show. If you miss anything, by the way, check out the podcast, iTunes, ESPN Pod Center. Just look for Soccer Weekly. Give us a, a review, please. Give us the five star if you love us. If you don't, if you hate us, tell your enemies to listen. That's fine. You can help us out that way. But yeah, Walker Zimmerman's performance and some of the rumors still swirling there. So and uh, LAFC makes a signing. We'll start with that. LAFC announced earlier on the day that they had uh, signed on loan a youngster out of Colombia, playing for Atletico Huila by the name of Eddie Segura. And when I say youngster, it's kind of like the that Edward Atuesta type of thing. They get him on loan from the Colombian club for six months, according to the release, and they got the option to purchase. Same thing with Atuesta. Remember, he came from Colombia at a very young age. In fact, he was 20. The 21-year-old is a center back. And if you watch him on tape, the thing that stands out on me about Segura, the way he plays for Huila, who just got beat in the playoffs, by the way. They were in the... Uh, the semis down there in the playoffs just got beat. So they are out of season now. And uh, I like Segura because he's not a tall player. He's not even he's not even six feet. And I don't even think he's really that close to that as I watch him. 
But when you watch him, you realize he's got really good understanding defensively. His positioning is really good. He knows how to win the football away from attackers, and he knows where he should be virtually at all times. So that is a good sign. Now, again, it's a center back. As I look at Huila, they always seem to line him up in the left center back spot. Now that, I'm not, again, we're not trying to read too much into things, but there is the overhang of Walker Zimmerman not having signed a deal yet, right? And that's where essentially Walker kind of situated after Laurent Samon left to go back and play in France. He wanted to go back to Europe, right? When he left for Dijon a little bit more than midway through the season. Now, Simon had uh, had that left center back spot locked down with Walker in the right. Zimmerman had to slide over with Danilo Silva coming to the right center back spot. So it was a tougher season for for Zimmerman in terms of he was never really like allowed to just go and play one position the whole season. He had to make the move over to the left spot. He did it fine. He played well. He's still up in the air in terms of we don't know his future yet. So you want depth, right? We've always talked about that. You know what happens in the middle of an MLS season, let alone in the off season. You lose guys sometimes, even for a first-year team. So you need this depth, and Segura definitely lends that. He's got a lot more experience than a 21-year-old probably should. And he'll turn 22, in fact, in February. So even before MLS kicks off next season, he'll be 22 years old. He's got a lot of experience. He played, I think, 41 matches, if my uh, if my math is correct, over the last, just the last season. So the guy certainly is going to be no stranger to what it's going to take. And I like his game. I really do. He's very cultured for a young kid. And again, not to try to compare him with Atuesta, but if you're going to go down to pick up a South American on loan at that age and then hope to buy him, Columbia, you could do worse than Columbia. There's a lot of great players down there. Young, very good talent. And I think LAFC certainly off to a good start in that country. And hopefully Segura adds to that. Now, the Zimmerman rumors, as I mentioned, you know, it's, he's out of his play for the U.S. men's national team. I wanted to watch him against Italy, hoping he'd get the start. And I really wanted to take a peek at it when he was playing with different defenders. And yet he plays in this center backs thing with, with, with essentially Dave Serkin going to a 3 5 2. And it's a waste. Zimmerman was running all over the place trying to make up for other people's mistakes. He made a few of his own, to be sure. But you just can't really judge him, or at least I couldn't, based on what I want to see from him if indeed he does re-sign with the black and gold. So it was kind of a waste that way. He performed well against Italy. Again, he had his moments, certainly where he looked very good. Almost scored a goal, as my producer Mario Reyes reminded me. And it was one of the best saves that the Italian keeper had to make all game long, frankly. He wasn't very, uh, Sirigu had a lot of time on his hands back there, but that was really the one big save. Zimmerman could have given the U.S. a lead in that game, in fact, in that second half with that the, the header. They go on to lose the game, but, you know, that's not really important with the friendlies. I like what I saw to Zimmerman and most of the U.S. team in terms of just their willingness to play with skill. The problem becomes when your managers don't believe in you, and again, I'm not going to get too far off the track there, but that's really what I saw in that game. So kudos to Walker Zimmerman and the U.S. team for really going out and playing a pretty good match overall. Now, the third thing about LAFC, when you're talking expansion draft, and we all know MLS is not going to be shy when it comes to expanding. So LAFC benefited from their expansion draft, of course, last season, picking up Tyler Miller, Latif Blessing, 
Marco Arena. Then, of course, they picked another couple of guys. They traded immediately for Laurent Simon. So they did well. They were busy in that expansion draft period. Now it's time for them to be on the other end of that with FC Cincinnati coming in. And I wanted to go over a few things with you about the expansion draft coming because it is important. These are big decisions for LAFC to have to make. Most importantly is who do you keep on your protected list? Remember, as you know, if you're an LAFC fan, and certainly all the Galaxy fans are well aware of how this works too, FC Cincinnati can get five players. Now, here's the key. They cannot take any player from a team that LAFC took one from last year. So those teams are exempt. As I mentioned those names, Seattle, Sporting Kansas City, Earthquakes, Columbus Crew, and Toronto FC. Those teams are immune to this. They can't be touched. So that makes it even more likely LAFC could lose a player. Now, there are some uh, things that would cause a player not to be allowed to be picked. Generation Adidas players cannot be selected. Uh, there's some other, you know, some other minor rules. But most of all, designated players are not automatically protected. Right? So you sign Carlos Vela. He's incredible. you got to put him on your protected list, obviously. Everybody gets that. But if you take a look at it now, and you start to dig a little deeper, you kind of take a look at LAFC's roster, and there are some decisions that have to be made. Bottom line, this team is too deep for an expansion draft not to be a concern. Again, that's a good problem to have. But if you're LAFC, you've got a lot of guys you'd like to keep your hands on, no doubt about it. And you can only lock up and guarantee yourself 11 of them. Now, I wanted to bring in the great Mario Reese. He'll be coming in for stoppage time coming up. But Mario, let's just spend a few minutes going over a few key guys. Yeah, this is going to be tough. It is going to be tough. <laughs> All right. Now, remember, everything's a factor, Mario. Money. Now, we don't always know, you know the length of contracts or anything like that. Yeah. But that's a factor. Mm-hmm. Age, of course, is a massive factor, right? You know, so... Let's just assume that you signed Eddie Segura days ago. You can't. You're gonna. You're gonna protect him, right? So you know, there's another like that kind of stuff. We don't know how this stuff's gonna work. Here are a couple of guys though that I want to ask you about Mario that we can discuss. And okay. again, these are hard decisions because we like these players. Mm-hmm. Stephen Betashore. Ooh, he was solid all season long. Yes, he was a the, leader back there. The team was good when he was on the field, right? They yeah. had a great record when he played. He is a little older, but he's still only, what, 32, somewhere around that. 31, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you do? That's a tough one. I mean, uh, he was almost in every single match. He's yeah. solid, uh, dependable. Uh, I think I would keep him. I yeah. think I would. I think I would, too, because of that. he's at a right back spot, too, and he can get forward. He's assist man, you know, he scores goals, he can, he can get into the attack. He does a lot, yeah. He does a lot. That's exactly right. So that's a tough one though because now because of his gonna, age, you know. Yeah, we're not, we're going to go over this a lot more as the expansion draft gets closer, Mario, but that's why I wanted to bring it up today in a way because yeah, you keep Beta Shore. Well, that's one out of 11 spots you have locked up now. Now let's get the guys who were automatics. And I'm not even going to go too deep. Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi, Andre Horta, right? Yeah. Adama Diamande. Dio, yeah. That's four already. And Mark you can only Anthony, have 11, right? Mark Anthony K. right? That's five. You only have 11. We said we want Beta Shore. That's six already. Mm-hmm. And we're not, even li- we're not even listing other guys that are virtually automatic. Did you, you say know? a Twesta? Did not. Okay. 
That's now like here's, seven. Now, here's another one that I want to ask you about. And I don't ask you because of the, the player specifically, but for the position. Tyler Miller. Tyler Miller. Man, he uh he really did you, his thing this year. He really earned that but spot. But here's the thing. You can lump Luis Lopez into the same question, right? Because yeah. Yeah. he got injured, but they have super high on him. Right now, they you know he had been loaned out to try to recover from the injury to get back to full speed. For 2019, you can't possibly keep two goalkeepers protected, Mario. Right? You can't. I mean, yeah, you only I have think, eleven slots. There's no way you can keep two he, goalkeepers on that list. He could definitely be a number one goalkeeper on a lot of teams here in the MLS. I think. Yeah. No, absolutely. But just again, you don't even have to answer that question. That becomes more about position with yeah. goalkeeper. Are there enough of them out there that you have to kind of let them go? And hopefully they don't get picked, obviously. I'm sure LAFC doesn't want to lose anyone. But it's just so many interesting questions. I'd love to hear what, who you would keep on your protected list. Hit me up on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. We'll talk about it throughout the week on Twitter. And I'll even maybe uh, delve back into it with your suggestions next week. But this is Black and Gold Breakdown. It's very interesting stuff there. That expansion draft is going to be very tricky for John Thorrington and the gang. You still got Lee Wynn, Christian Ramirez. Yes, you got dude, a bunch of guys there. Exactly. There's going to be some very tough decisions, which, again, is a beautiful problem to have for uh, Thorrington and Bob Bradley, no doubt about it. This is true. He's Mario Rios. I'm Dave Dadholm. Still to come, stoppage time and so much more. Here on the home of world football in Southern California, this is ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I'm Dave Denholm. We have had a great show. We continue on here. And I want to talk about MLS playoffs. The final four are set. We talked a little bit about it last week. Eastern Conference Final. New York Red Bulls are at Atlanta for leg one coming up Sunday. Sporting Kansas City visits Portland as the top seed on Sunday as well in the Western Conference Final. And I want to bring in Mario Reyes, of course, the producer here of Soccer Weekly. And uh, he's the producer of LAFC. We uh, carry the play-by-play here on ESPN LA. Mario uh, and let me ask you something, Mario. I, I find it interesting that a first-year team does what LAFC does, right? They had right. a fantastic season. Make no mistake, regardless of the loss to Real Salt Lake in the playoffs. Yeah. But, Mario, it's it's a striking kind of stat. You know why these four teams are here. Because against LAFC this season, these four teams were nearly perfect. Yeah. The black and gold, honestly... Uh, remember, you play the Eastern Conference, you only play those teams once, right? So they played the Red Bulls and Atlanta. In fairness, both on the road, so that's tough. LAFC went both times, you know, and lost both of those. They lost twice to Sporting Kansas City, and they uh, they split with Portland. And I beg your pardon, they got a draw and a loss to Portland. So you're talking about essentially 0-5-1, Mario, yeah. against the four best teams. So that's, that's really the next step, right, for LAFC. Exactly. That's, that's the bottom line. If you take away the 0-5-1, LAFC was drilling virtually everybody else. But there's levels to this, as the kids say. There's levels to this. They had runs. LAFC had runs. And they look good at yeah. times. They look great at times. Oh, yeah. But we're talking about the top four teams. There's a reason why these guys are there at the, at the Western oh, yeah, Conference, it says, Eastern it, Conference Finals. No question. I think it says more about Atlanta, New York, yeah. Sporting Kansas City, and Portland than even it does against, uh, you know, against LAFC. By all means, these teams are pounding everybody. So it's not about that. It's more about if you're looking at it from an LAFC perspective, it's that's where we have to be. We know now what it's going to take, essentially. These are the top teams. These are the cream of the crop, whatever cliche you want to use. And I'm even throwing Portland there because they're so tough, especially at home, that that's where LAFC you know, knows that they have to take that next step. It's kind of fascinating because we're going to see it in 2019. And it brings me to a question, Mario. 
What would you say the odds, or what percentage chance would you give LAFC to win either MLS Cup or MLS US Open Cup? It's not easy to do either one, right? We know that. Yeah, and they try to win that U.S. Open Cup. Oh, yeah. But it takes a toll on your team as far as in the MLS regular season. Don't you agree? I mean, you put out a good squad, good lineup every time you go out for a U.S. Open Cup match. And that means you're going for it, right? Bob Bradley, he was going for it every match. I agree, but you have to, and I'll tell you why. Because it's a good good point. Yeah. It's slightly, in my opinion, I, I say that, and I don't say this out of any disrespect, to the Open Cup, it's slightly easier to win U.S. Open Cup than even it is to win MLS playoffs. Because in MLS playoffs, it is a bit of a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. No matter how good you are, you've got to get through a whole gauntlet, right? And bad right. things can happen one day and you're done. Especially if you get in that knockout stage. Yeah. Now, I granted, that can happen in the U.S. Open Cup, but if you take it as seriously as LAFC did, you're catching other teams maybe not taking it quite as seriously. Maybe you get a couple of home games in a row with the luck of the draw, which LAFC happened to do. You know, those things add up in the Open Cup, I think it's a little easier. And you've got the Champions League waiting for you on the end, just like you do with the MLS Cup. you got to go for it with the U.S. Open Cup. I really, I actually think it's going to be easier for LAFC to win the U.S. Open Cup, no doubt. Uh, what percentage would you put on them winning one or the other next year? I would give uh, probably a 70, 70% chance that, that they could win the U.S. Open Cup. I like that. What about MLS Cup? Is it just kind of... 50-50 kind of thing? What do you, I mean, MLS Cup, that is very tough. I would say 55%. Okay, interesting. Boy, you gotta, you're got you really high on LAFC. I don't disagree. I think they got a really good shot to take something down next year because now Bob Bradley knows exactly what he's got to do with the roster. 55% is not high, Dave. 55%? Half. That's pretty good for one team to have that good of a chance. I mean, it's the, you know, that's a solid... I mean, remember, it's a tough league. It's a lot of team, you know. That's a little bit better than a 50-50 shot. Yeah, but there, nothing wrong with that. I think anybody would take that. Yeah. <laughs> and with I the really squad do. I, like I think, they have, and yeah. you know, the first season that they had, they're only going to build upon that. Absolutely. So, yeah, I Absolutely. think that's fair. Couldn't agree more. I like that. That's good stuff. I don't disagree with the great Mario Reese, who is the host of Where We're Going Right Now. It's stoppage time! Yeah, stoppage time! It's stoppage time! Right now! Got to tighten this up, Mario Reyes. Stoppage time. Got to be a little quicker after that great conversation we just had. What's going on, brother? All right, so the Galaxy have denied reports in Italy that uh, Zlatan has accepted an offer to join AC Milan, according to a source. Uh, LA Galaxy spokesperson told ESPN FC via text message that the reports are not true. Yeah, you know, I would have said if they... See what a or I'm sorry, LA Galaxy would have snuck into the playoffs, Mario. Like that last day, remember all they had to do was get a draw against Houston, and then they blew that two nil lead. If they would have just snuck into the playoffs, I would have told you that Zlatan would be back a hundred percent guaranteed. As tough as the season was, as bad as they were sometimes, right? I still, I honestly still think that they he would have just come back automatically had they pulled it out in the end because there would have been a little bit more momentum going. Even if they lost in the playoffs, which they probably would have done. You know, so what? But now I don't know. I'm I'm just wondering what Zlatan's future is. I think he's coming back to the Galaxy. I don't have any insight on that, but I do believe he'll be back. Stop it, time! All right, we got uh, after five seasons as head coach, Oscar Pareja and FC Dallas have mutually agreed to part ways. Yes, they have. Uh, the club announced on Monday, and uh, FC Dallas will immediately begin a search for uh, his replacement. Mario, I think one of the most interesting story aspects of this is the rumors coming out of Mexico, right? Uh-huh. Doesn't look like Club Tijuana maybe is a possibility for him. And I, you know, I, what I find fascinating about that is 
whether it happens or not, Oscar Perea has been a great manager. Time ran out in, in Dallas. You know, they got to go in a new direction. I get that. But I love the intermingling of uh, Liga Amakis and MLS more and more, right? We're seeing rumors flying around, Mario. Yeah. This guy leaving Mexico to come to the U.S. We've seen Almeida come here now to coach San Jose. Maybe Pereja goes down to Mexico to coach. That's awesome. I think it's fantastic that the two leagues are getting more and more intermingled because it just tells you where MLS is and what can become of this league. And I love it because I have so much respect for Liga Amekis and Mexican football. And people don't think about that, but it's just getting easier and easier, Mario, if you know what I mean, right? right? Oh, yes. Yeah. It doesn't surprise you to hear that story, that rumor, even if it doesn't happen. Almeida coming, and you're like, wow. Yeah, okay, it's a little bit of a surprise. He leaves Chivas. They just won. The... But he comes to MLS, and it's really not that big of a surprise when you think about it. That's fantastic. Yeah, he was a great manager with FC Dallas. Supporters Shield, uh, yeah. he got 60-point seasons in 2015 and oh. 2016. U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, he was a great manager. If he lands there, if he lands with Tijuana, they get a good one. There's no doubt yeah. about it. That is stoppage time. Thanks so much to Mario Rees here. Thanks so much to all the gang behind the scenes. I really appreciate it. Hope you have a blessed and happy Thanksgiving and a holiday season. I'm Dave Denholm, and this is Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710.